The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast Movies Edition. In this episode, we have the latest HD and DVD news. We review The Wicker Man on Region 2 DVD. And on HD DVD, we review King Kong 76, World Trade Center, and Clerks 2. And in our roundtable discussion, we cover the subject of women in movies. From AV Play. It's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And welcome to this week's DVD and high definition news. And to kick things off this week is Chris. Yeah, well, coming soon, uh, March 27th, you have Ben Stiller's CG Clagfest comedy fantasy romp, Night at the Museum, which comes out on Region 1 DVD in both a single disc edition and a double disc edition. The single disc includes a Ben Stiller and director commentary and writer-producer commentary. And the two-disc edition has the comedy tracks, plus a few deleted scenes, featurettes, a blooper reel, a making of Night at the Museum, and... A DVD ROM feature called Reunite with Rexy, some kind of game. I don't hold out many high hopes of this release. I wasn't particularly fussed on the movie at all, even though I liked all the um, the actors who were in it. But one nice thing about it, it appears to have a nice holographic cover as well, which you know kind of kind of caught my eye when I was researching this one. Night at the Museum is out March 27th. So has anybody managed to catch this film then? Well, I've seen it. Yeah, I wasn't very impressed. I think it had a lot of um, good elements to it. Um, a whole, you know, I like the fantasy element to it. A nice little sly sort of devious plot, and you had some some good performers in there. Ricky Gervais was in there. Ben Stiller, fantastic. Owen Wilson, again, I like the two of them together, brilliant. But I'm afraid the film just wasn't as good as some of its parts. I've not managed to see this one, although um, my mum and dad took my kids to see it, and they come back raving about it. Um, perhaps it is uh, aimed solely at the kids, but um, I can't speak from uh, personal experience. So moving on, and uh, Kazi's next up with a bit of news for us. Well, the latest news in the adult world is that uh, Digital Playground, one of the most popular studios, has uh, decided to drop Blu-ray and um, shift to HD DVD. So they'll have a a whole bunch of new titles coming up in February, including uh, some of their recently popular ones, Island Fever 3 and 4, uh, along with Pirates and the Teen America series. Big story about that last week as well, because Blu-ray um, wouldn't allow the porn producers to use the encoding uh, machines and the authoring machines. So is this a boost for HD DVD then, guys? It's the VHS versus Betamax war, wasn't it? Um, one of the reasons that uh, VHS won in America was because porn was easily available. And it would appear that we're seeing the same mistake made by Sony, and it could cost them dearly. Bit of a shame, because Blu-ray seems to have inspired blue movies yeah there's certainly gonna be a big market for this kind of thing so it could be a major plus in hd's favor it seems like dropping something like this could only have a a negative effect rather there's no positive side to not allowing it and it's only gonna it's only gonna give an extra point to the hd team one of the figures i noticed recently was that um and this surprised me somewhat that home video adult home video makes more money than adult material on the internet that astounds me it is a huge market, and it is really, you know Sony have shot themselves in the foot 
uh, technically again because this was what uh, was the make or break apparently for the Betamax VHS war gone and done the same thing again and, and it is funny you know you look at VHS it was the cheaper format it had the backing not all the movie stu- studios at the time and then you look at Betamax it, w- it was the more expensive format it didn't have the backing and VHS went through so maybe it will have some uh, bearing on the format wars so going from adult entertainment down to kids entertainment and it's Simon with some news well, um, yeah, I'm actually quite excited about this. Um, you, you're mentioning uh, we were talking about uh, VHS. I actually saw this film on VHS, one of the very first films I saw on VHS. Um, Harry and the Hendersons, a special edition being released by uh, Universal Home Video. Um, it's coming to DVD on April 24th, uh, starring John Lithgow. Um, a number of extra features, including a commentary, some deleted scenes, a number of featurettes. Um, I quite like this film. I've got a bit of a soft spot for it. It's um, it's about Bigfoot. John Lithgow is a, is a family guy, and they knock over a Bigfoot, take it home to their house, and sort of sort it out. Um, I really quite enjoyed this one, so I'm I'm looking forward to this. Anybody else, uh, Harry and the Hendersons fan? Um, I barely remember it, to be honest. The only thing I remember really is this: um, Harry was played by the same guy who played Predator, Kevin Peter Hall. So I, I don't remember a great deal about it at all. I may well pick it up, though, just to remind myself. And moving on, we've got another old film which has been uh, re-released by Paramount Home Entertainment, but this time in the director's cut. Payback, straight up the director's cut, is coming to DVD and HD DVD on April the 10th. The film clocks in at 90 minutes, which makes it actually shorter by 10 minutes than the theatrical cut. But it's been re-edited and restored to its original gritty vision by director Brian Helgeland and was originally deemed too dark by Paramount standards at the time of the release. So um, that's another one to look forward to. I'm always interested in director's cuts. What about you guys? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. I remember picking up the uh, old VHS copy of um, of Payback and I, I think I picked it up in the States and it has a picture from the director's cut in it. It's got the picture of him at a, I think a railway station maybe, on his back, shooting. And it's nev- that's not in the, uh, the cut that was butchered by Gibson himself. And um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to what they have to offer in this one. I've heard loads of things about it, uh, and uh, I don't think it'll be really interesting to see what they could do with the end. Yep, and it's also arriving on HD DVD, which is another plus. And to wrap things off, high definition-wise, Seth has some news from Warner. That's right. The Departed has apparently been moved somewhat forward. I believe the original release date for this was going to be in March, but it's now coming out on Blu-ray and HD DVD on the 13th of February. Now, this is the Scorsese movie that looks tipped to get the uh, Oscar, but they say that every time Scorsese brings a movie out. Um, it stars uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Marky Mark, and Marty, Martin Sheen. The HD release is going to be a combo, which is a shame, but on the positive side, it will have a true HD 5.1 soundtrack. The Blu-ray is actually going to be a dual-layer disc um, and will be 1080p as usual with PCM and Adobe Digital 5.1 soundtracks as well. And you'll also see quite a few extras. Nine additional scenes, uh, a story of the Boston mob featurette, a theatrical trailer, and uh, a crossing criminal cultures featurette primarily on how Little Italy's crime and violence influenced Scorsese's work. Now, this is one film that did capture my imagination last year. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Not your usual Hollywood blockbuster-type movies. And uh, a great cast in there as well. 
nice little story and like I say not your your usual Hollywood ending so I'm really looking forward to that any you guys managed to catch up with it I saw it yeah I didn't like it at all I'm afraid um, I thought it was extremely badly overacted in a lot of places um, Matt Damon particularly ruined it for me I just I couldn't buy into his character at all I couldn't buy into his performance full stop he was way OTT in certain bits and just not believable um, the convoluted plot we know it's, we know it's a, a sort of remake of the Infernal Affairs it just didn't hang together for me at all Jack Nicholson again ruined it because he's playing once again the stereotypical Jack Nicholson role no mob boss no one could exist in, in the real world you know it's a gritty sort of noirish thriller this, this guy couldn't possibly exist he couldn't walk those streets acting like that it just couldn't happen this is just personal I, I like Jack Nicholson a lot as an actor but nowadays he just seems to be playing everyone's main um, conception of him main viewpoint of him and it just didn't hang together for me at all so sadly I thought this was um, a, a bit of a, a waste of a lot of talent so there you go two opposing opinions anybody want to cast the casting vote well, I was going to say that um, I, I did quite enjoy the movie, but because I've seen Infernal Affairs and I think it's vastly superior, I just see it as another example of um, one remake too far by Hollywood. I, I, I enjoyed all of the things coming together, but it was it was just unnecessary when you could see it all and done better in Infernal Affairs. It's pretty much uh, scene by scene a copy, and some of it doesn't even make sense. Um, when remade, so I, I was just disappointed by the fact that they felt they had to copy once more. So there we go. You got one positive, one negative, and one in between. Um, <laughs> so we'll leave the DVD news there for this week, and don't forget we're back with uh, more DVD news next week. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. This week's DVD reviews. So we move on to this week's uh, DVD and high-definition reviews. And first of all is Kaz with a look at the new Wicker Man. So what did you think then, Kaz? Well, I was um, I was really looking forward to Nicolas Cage doing a movie like this. He picked some really adventurous roles. Um, and, uh, and when I saw it, I had no real big preconceptions because although I enjoyed the original and I regard it as um, a something of a classic despite everyone else calling it an absolute classic um, I didn't particularly have any problem with them remaking this they just recently remade we recently had remakes of Hills Have Eyes which I enjoyed Texas Chainsaw Massacre and remake of The Wicker Man didn't seem like bad news but the honest truth is it's a terrible movie uh, even Nicolas Cage cannot save it and in fact he's prone to just ridiculous moments where he becomes typical Cage ranting and um and it just doesn't suit the movie at all. It's a really, really disappointing film. It's pieced together as if it would be a good horror, and and for about an hour, you could almost just about believe it was, and then it just all falls apart at the end. The DVD technically is is pretty solid. The the video is um, pretty good because it's obviously a recent release, recently made film, and uh, it's been rendered perfectly 1.78 to 1 aspect ratio anamorphic widescreen it's all good soundtrack standard Dolby Digital 5.1 but it's also pretty good I think it's got a score by um, David Lynch's 
Angelo Badalamessi, I can't pronounce his name, um, but he he does a reasonably good job on the soundtrack. Uh, in terms of extras, we just get a commentary by like the director and some of his crew involved, and they just seem to want to praise the movie. I personally can't understand why this got greenlit. Um, I, it's also worth mentioning that it is a, the supposed director's cut. Now, as far as I can tell, this is just like the uh, R-rated version that wasn't shown in American cinemas, which um, which features more violence, but uh, it doesn't really do anything more for the movie. So, unfortunately, a big thumbs down from me for this. So, what um, what region was that on? It's region two. Anybody else want to say how terrible this movie was? Well, do um, we need to? It's pants, <laughs> isn't it? It is. Um, I actually reviewed this one for the site on the Region 1, and um, I was just going to ask you, Kaz, which version was it you saw? Um, you said the uh, the director's cut. Um, did you even look at the th- theatrical cut as well? Well, it doesn't show the theatrical cut on the disc. It's just I noticed. I wouldn't have even known it was the director's cut, but I noticed that on the uh, promotions for the front cover, it says director's cut. Now, I assume that in America they had both versions, and we just get the director's cut. That's right. Yeah, the, uh, so, the the region one is is a flipper disc with um, the the director's cut on one side and the theatrical cut on the other. Um, I when I done a review, I also looked at the um, director's cut, thinking you know it's got to be better than uh, than theatrical cut, and I actually found it better, um, simply because of that ending. You know, the ending is quite stark, and it goes right back to the original film, and it, it ends when he dies. Um, sorry for the spoiler there, guys. Um, whereas the theatrical cut goes on to show a little bit more, which sort of, you know, is, is daft. The film itself was just... I don't, I don't know why I could remake it. You know, I just didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. So we spent enough time on The Wicker Man, and um, whether it's the director's cut or the normal cut, I don't think people are going to rush out and buy that one. So moving on to HD DVD and Chris, and you have been looking at the 1976 version of King Kong. Yes, I have, and I'm afraid this is probably another movie which people won't be rushing out to buy either, um, which I think is a bit of a crying shame, because this is the King Kong that I grew up with. Yes, it is a bit of a a turkey of a movie. Um, It's a complete and utter disaster in many respects, almost destroying the entire mythology created by the original. But... I have a, a, a strange sort of fondness for this film. It's one of the, the biggest films that I ever saw when I was a kid. It's one of the films that actually opened up you know, wide, the widescreen cinematic experience to me. And what it lacks in action and drama, it sure as hell makes up with in, in pure emotion. Because uh, as daft as that Rick Baker costume is, there's so much expression in, in the ape mask that uh, I was thoroughly captivated by the, the tragedy of this story. The original film, the black and white one, 1933, had everything. It had spectacle, uh, raw adventure, horror, terror, and non-stop action. But it didn't really move me at all. Peter Jackson's version seems to have everything thrown at it. It's got everything in this. Wall-to-wall CG, a bizarre romance in there as well, and you've got the tragedy, the pathos, the poignancy, the whole thing. And it's an exhilarating thrill ride. But I'm more emotionally connected to this version. As daft as it is, <laughs> that ape costume, it, it, for many people, that's the big, that's the thing that turns them right off it. Not the lack of dinosaurs on Skull Island. It's just, that is just a man in a costume walking over you know, some pretty naff models in some cases. But having said that, um, I still thoroughly enjoy it. I reviewed the Region 1 release standard edition 
quite some time ago, and once again it rekindled all my my you know fond memories for it. And now to view the this is from Studio Canal. This is the French HD edition of the movie. There's nothing on it again, extras-wise, apart from a theatrical trailer, which is pretty lousy and ponderous. Um, but the best thing about it is it has been cleaned up again. The standard release had a fantastic transfer. I had never, I hadn't seen it looking as good as that ever before. And I've had various, you know, uh, incarnations of this from TV broadcast and different VHS copies of it. But uh, that was a real eye-opener for me. The picture was glorious. Now in HD, it's even better again. But this is sourced from a different print. Luckily, some of the damage, which was still ex in existence on the original Region 1 release, has been removed. It just simply isn't there. But you have another bit of damage in other sequences. The definition is definitely greater. The resolution, you know, it, it, it's pin sharp in a lot of cases. But having said that, there are one or two sequences where, even in the same high-def image, you have a corner or a side of the image where it quite clearly isn't of the same resolution as the rest of the screen, which is a little bit... A bit of a niggle there, um, and sadly you do notice it on the larger screens. You're going to pick, you're going to pick up on this. But overall, it's still a pretty decent transfer, even for like an older film on the new format. But what sets this one apart is this actually has DTS HD Master Audio 5.1. Now this, again, is a, is a bit of a leap up from the quite impressive Dolby Digital 5.1 that the, the Region One Standard Edition had. Um, it's a lot warmer. It's a lot more engrossing. The actual um, LFE is pretty pounding. The opening notes of uh, John Barry's phenomenal, fantastic score. Actually, the best thing about the movie is the score. The opening notes, which you know, demonstrate Kong, they, they, they signify Kong. God, that has the floor really, really rumbling, and it sounds fantastic. There's also a few other little bits which the acoustics seem to benefit from, and that's, for instance, the sacrificial ceremony where. Dwan, as Jessica Lang is called, should be Dawn, but she reversed the middle two letters just to be a little bit different. It's being sacrificed to Kong. You can actually hear more voices now on the ramparts as the uh, as the, the natives are chanting for their their, their jungle god, and it, it just makes for a more exquisite sort of audio experience. And I, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed enjoyed that aspect of it. So, what kind of score will we give that one then, Chris? Well, overall, given the uh, the abilities of the format and the fact that this doesn't even have pop-up menus on it which I think should be de rigueur for HD um, I'm only going to give it a 5 because it just doesn't show off apart from like the transfer and the great sound um, it doesn't really show off the capabilities of HD at all movie wise you know I give it a 7 because it's great I love I love the film um, but as an HD no it's not a particularly good entrance for Studio Canal into this market I don't think Okay then, so King Kong, uh, 1976, scores 5 out of 10 on the HD DVD. Although you did, I noticed in your review, score the picture at 7 and the movie at 7, is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. But taking into consideration the uh, the, you know, the format and what they haven't done with it, so, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I marked it down. You felt to mark it down. And obviously the 1976 version features the Twin Towers, doesn't it? The uh, Twin Towers yes. in New York instead mm. of the Empire State Building. Nice to see them standing proud and tall. Well, this brings us on to uh, my review for the week, which was World Trade Center on HD DVD, and a film that has courted quite a bit of controversy, and some people say it's still a little bit too early to go into the, the whole World Trade Center September 11th thing. 
However, after watching the movie, I think Oliver Stone has done a great job in getting across the main messages of the movie, which is courage and, and survival and, and following the true story of two uh, Port Authority police officers um, who are buried under the rubble of Tower 1 when it collapses and are stuck there for um, nearly 24 hours before eventually being rescued. And they were survivors 18 and 19 out of 20. There were only 20 survivors pulled from the wreckage of the World Trade Centre. Now, I, I think Oliver Stone handles it in a sympathetic manner. You won't find over-the-top special effects. You won't find images of the towers collapsing. Um, you won't find anything which can be described as voyeuristic in any way through this movie. It also gives us uh, an insight into the families and what the families were going through on the day. And a lot of criticism has come in from all different areas saying that it was wrong to focus on just these two characters. And there was well over 2,000 victims on that day uh, back in September 11th, 2001. However, I feel that Stone has has deliberately downplayed a lot of this film um, and by, by centering on the two characters, he's done that for a number of reasons. One was that these characters, in real life, the two police officers, had an awful lot of input into the movie, as did their families and as did other survivors. The actual realness and the attention to detail of the whole project serves it very well in terms of telling the story as accurately as possible. I have to say that I admired and respected the way that Stone has brought this story to the screen and is certainly recommended for anybody that wants to to experience what it must have been like for thousands of people on that day and it's told in a sympathetic way. The HD DVD transfer is pristine. It's a recent movie. The transfer is absolutely spot on and the amount of uh, detail in the image is astounding. Um, Close-ups look uh, particularly realistic, skin tones are natural and colours, although it is a very muted um, colour palette, the further you get away from ground zero, the brighter the images become and as as you go towards uh, the disaster area, obviously the the colours are are a lot more muted and a lot more greys and white. However, everything stands up really well on screen and the depth of field in some of the wide uh, shots of the Twin Towers um, looks absolutely astounding detail-wise. Extras, there's a a full documentary on the second disc, it's a two-disc set, and the second documentary um, on there is a 50-minute look at the two survivors and their their lives um, in great detail, and is actually, I have to say, more appealing as a, as a true story than, than the main feature was and I, I found myself more engrossed in the documentary than I did in the in the film um, other extras on there there's a, a walking tour of New York with Oliver Stone and uh, you have your theatrical trailers and a look at the CGI how they created the the whole World Trade Center complex and how they got everything in such detail so overall World Trade Center it's it's not really something you want to go out and enjoy but it's certainly respectfully done and uh, is very true to the accounts of the day of, of those two people. It's, it's a bit weird that you know, we tonight we seem to have a lot of opposing views um, I didn't, I liked it I sat through it and uh, I, I was moved by it but I failed to see how you couldn't be moved even if the, the filmmaking I thought was rather overly sentimental and quite a little bit crass at times. I think also the title is wrong 
for this particular movie. Yes, they're lying in the bowels of the remains of the World Trade Center, but when people think of the World Trade Center and the, the, the atrocity committed there, to give a big, big film that title, you think, it, again, this is maybe misconception on other people's part, but it certainly was on my part anyway, but you kind of go in there thinking you're going to get a bigger story than this, and yet, yes, I quite agree that it was a good idea to have his story actually focus on the on the lives of two men and how they got through such a harrowing situation, but give it a different title and have a different image on the poster because people are going in there expecting to see those towers come down, expecting the much wider picture to be to be revealed, and it just doesn't do that. It, it obviously for. You know, you've gone into the reasons why he did it this way, and you know, and I think they're pretty valid as well. But I think he could have labelled this film a little bit differently, and it would have, I would have tolerated it a bit more. I think, uh, I, I think there's a bit of a bit too a little bit too much schmaltz in there and the sentimentality. Yes, it's needed, I know, but you always, somehow it seemed to leap out at me, and I, I wasn't quite as a. I sort of groaned. Oh, here we go, you know, the the plight back home and all that. It, I don't know, and a few religious little elements crept in there too, true as they may be, but it just kind of like, oh dear, here we go. Oh, one bit I do like though is where uh, it's the, the flame jets going off around them, and what a, after all they've been through to have something like that taking place as well, and then the gun goes off. That now that was that was pretty good. I quite enjoyed that. That was a horrible situation, but it was it was done particularly well. But overall, I wasn't thoroughly impressed. I think I may have to go into it again, now knowing, having already seen it, I would go into it with sort of my expectations lowered and appreciate it more for what it really is. I, th- I think the main thing is maybe to watch the documentary first. I, I think that would be my recommendation to anybody. Watch the documentary first. doesn't give you any spoilers because we all know what, what the actual premise of the story is, but I think it gives you a, a better understanding and a better viewpoint to look at the actual uh, way that the the film was made and and there has been accusations um similar to, to what you've raised chris where people were expecting a disaster movie they were expecting a, a blockbuster disaster movie and to be to be perfectly honest from my opinion and my point of view i think that would that that would uh, uh, spoil things and and to have too many characters i think would would have drawn away from from the main message of the movie which was you know um there was there was all this going on around them but these two characters managed to survive against odds of a million to one to actually survive, which was the whole point. But I, I take I take your point about the the title and and the movie. So we'll move on from here and review one final title. And I think we'll do this as a group review because I think everybody bar Chris has seen this movie. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, this is right. So Chris can take I'll, a. I'll sit this one out then. <laughs> yeah, Chris can take a back seat for this one. And uh, we'll discuss Clark's 2 on HD DVD. And um, let's start with Seth. Seth, you come in and, and give us a little bit of insight into this movie. Right, well, this is the, the the one and only sequel so far to, um, that Kevin Smith, the director, has actually done um, in his illustrious career. He's basically gone back to his roots. I mean, we all know that Clerks was a, a twenty thousand dollar put it on your credit card um, shot in black and white um, movie. Um, very uh, well regarded. Um, bit of a cult indie flick. Uh, did particularly well at, um, the, at the fe- on the festival circuit. And um, basically, the the original movie and indeed this one focuses on 
two core characters, which is uh, Dante and Randall. Uh, they basically work or um, in a convenience store called the Quick Stop. Um, in the first one, the second one progresses the the story in so far as they basically have found that the Quick Stop's burnt down, and they end up working at uh, Movies Burger um, Emporium, which as we if you're a Kevin Smith fan, have already seen in in the movie Dogma. This basically centres on their lives, the trials and tribulations, um, and that's pretty much it. Their life. It, it doesn't really have a um, a story as in the same vein as the other three movies. Um, the, the only real thread of story in in, in Clerks Two um, is that Dante's getting married and he's about to leave. Um, New Jersey for Florida. That is basically the story. And the thing with with Smith's movies is that the whole point of of Clacks initially and and with with the follow up is the whole pop culture thing, which uh, is a running thread through all these films, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you look at virtually every single movie he's done, um, Clerks. There's huge Star Wars references because Smith is a huge Star Wars fan. More Rats focuses much more on his comic book sensibilities. Chasing Amy um, has Star Wars elements. It references Jaws. It references comic books. Um, it's actually the actual movie is about um, one of his ex-girlfriends. Um, if you go to even uh, a Jersey Girl, which everybody hates except me apparently, um, that's basically a movie about him and his reaction to his daughter Harley. So they're very personal movies, um, and they're they're just filled with you know a pop culture references. You know, like I say, Jersey Girl, um, where. Um, she turns to her father, who's played by Ben Affleck, and goes punch at Chewie. You know, it's a, it's a Star Wars reference. It's it's absolutely got nothing to do with the movie itself, but it's a throwaway line just to nod, you know, to all of the um, influences of, of Kevin Smith along the way. And as you, as we say, Clerks Two is again chock filled with them, from uh, music references. Um, again, his his soundtracks are very good. Um, the Star Wars references, and the one that uh, I think we we will probably cover at great length, which is the uh, the line of "One Ring to Rule Them All." Yes, and that has to be the best put down of any movie I I've ever seen captured on film. <laughs> it's a movie about walking. Film one, walk. Film two, walk. Side step, walk. Film three, walk. Throw ring and volcano. As as they said, even the trees walked in that movie. <laughs> but the audiences didn't, did they? So covering the whole pop culture thing, um, his his sensibilities, his sense of humour certainly comes through in Clax 2. And, and he says in the introduction that this is probably the best film that he has made. It's certainly one that he's had the most fun on. Um, so Kaz, I believe you've also seen this movie, so what do you think? Well, oddly enough, I haven't seen the original, so I just came straight in watching Clerks 2. And um, I really enjoyed it. I've seen most of his other movies, and I didn't. I didn't. I think the least likable I found of all of them was Dogma, but um, but I actually really enjoyed Clerks too. I thought it was hilarious. I thought the um, well, the scripting is normally hilarious, but the it was just very well put together. Um, remarkably, <laughs> both low budget and stylish at the same time, and uh, it was just. It was just really good, and uh, it had Rosaria Dawson in it, in a very, um, well, given the, the role she took in perhaps Sin City, it's a much more um, covered up 
closed down role than this, and it works very well. She's sort of more a, a wannabe girlfriend than anything else, and it's uh, it's a really nice role for her. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, she is. She's very attractive. So moving on to the HD DVD, this is actually encoded uh, with the AVC codec, and the picture was nice and sharp, it, where it should be. Uh, color tones were uh, natural, and uh, the color palette, very, very bright um, with the fast food outlet. Couldn't see any issues there with the encoding. Um, everything looked spick and span. And it also comes with a Dolby True HD soundtrack. Um, so what did you think, Seth, when you looked through? Well, I've, I've had the DVD. I've had the HD DVD as well. Um, I, I just love the movie. Um, it's very good that it's a, a two-disc affair. There's a, a nice little 90-minute uh, documentary. Um, there are lots of jokes in the movie. Um, none of them I think we can probably get away with on a, a clean podcast. Um, but uh, if, if you're not sold by the fact that it's a Kevin Smith movie, if you're not sold by the fact that um, it's full of pop culture references, if you're not sold by the fact that uh, we all love it, um, perhaps you'll get sold on the fact that it actually includes a donkey show, which is exactly the reason why Rosario Dawson signed up. So that's Clax 2. Um, I'm going to score it uh, 8 out of 10. Seth? Um, I'll probably go a little bit stronger than that. I, I, if, if I could get away with a half point, I would, but uh, as we frowned on them, I'll, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. It's just hysterically funny. Kaz? I'll probably give it an 8 as well, but again, I'd probably go 8.5 if I could. Okay, so that's our uh, DVD reviews and HD reviews for this week, and we'll have more of them next week. Brought to you by AV Forums and AVPlay.com. Oh my God, is there nothing you people can't do? This is the AV Podcast. This week's roundtable discussion. Okay, so for this week's roundtable, Seth Gecko came up with this idea, so we'll go with this one. Actresses in cinema. Are they playing second fiddle to actors, or are they coming into their own? And I think the the, the first one I'm going to mention, I think we should explore, is um, Alien from uh, the late 70s. Sigourney Weaver, first time we had a leading lady, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you're right, really, in contemporary cinema. Yeah, that was a, a bit of a, um, a, a groundbreaker, wasn't it, really? But <laughs> overall, though, Sigourney Weaver, 70s movies, that kind, that kind of thing... Cinema in general, women have always played second fiddle, and sadly, now this is just the way I perceive things. It's not, you know, I don't think it's right, but uh, I can't see it ever changing. Why? Because Hollywood is run by men. Films are written primarily by men, directed by men, produced by men. It's the men in suits behind them all, and cinema is governed as well by genre. The genre itself dictates where women are going to be because if it's an action film. She's going to be the the the, guy, the, the, the girl that the, the hero cops off with. Uh, and if she happens to be the hero of the film, the heroine, like Mila Hohovich, or however you pronounce her name, then I'm afraid her fate is just consigned to the bargain bin, isn't it? Because those kind of films are a bit naff anyway. So that, that, that's a, a brief overview of how I feel the situation is going. I don't really see it changing cinematically where women have their role and are succeeding uh, and continue to succeed is on TV and primarily on um, UK TV where you have your likes of your, your Helen Mirren uh, Child Retribution and all that kind of stuff and you have bad girls and you have um, that's trying to think of it. who was that one who played Steve McDonald's wife in Corrie? Do you, do you know who I mean? No. 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 Well, she's, she's had two cracking dramas on um, recently, 
and she seems to be going going places. And then you have the likes of Judy Walters, who, who can turn her hands at anything, comedy, drama, whatever. Um, but again, it's dominated by the smaller screen rather than the larger screen. So I don't really think that women's place in modern cinema is progressing at all. What What do you other guys think about that then? Um, I I actually think that uh, women have got pretty pretty good roles in uh, cinema recently. I, I'd probably use things like Resident Evil as a good good example of. Um, how women can do action movies as as good as men these days. I mean, no brainer sort of B movie action movies, and um, and I think they do well in that. Uh, it's it's difficult to look at it objectively because uh, things like my fa- some one of my favourite films, Sin City, or even like films like Heat, they're very male dominated. So inherently, most of my favourite movies focus more on men than women. But um, but you've got movies like maybe Aaron Brockovich, where I, I never really looked at it, but yes, it's completely from a, a female point of view, and it's it doesn't it, it it's a a brilliant movie, and um, there was no reason for it not to be made, and no reason for it not to become popular. The um, thing is, though, cast the films like that are so few and far between, where it's it's a show about a woman. And the, the woman is a lead character, it's a strong character, and the film becomes universally recognised and applauded. There's not that many of them around. I mean, you look at the number of films that, that do come out on a weekly basis, primarily they're male-dominated. Uh, and occasionally you will get one that comes out where the women you know, get all the accolades. Uh, Devil Wears Prada, that's, that's a recent one. Uh, again, but there's not that many of them around. They tend to be the sort of shallow end of drama, the, the rom-com sort of thing, the, uh, you know the type of deal. You mentioned the action movies there, well, they tend mainly to be, as I said earlier, the, the bargain basement sort of action movie. Miller Hohovich, Resident Evil, they've got their fans, I know, but they're not, they're certainly not the same ilk as the usual um, heroic action-adventure movie, which, of course, would, would have a bloke in the lead role. I'm not saying it's right, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's right, and I wish it was otherwise. And there are plenty of good actresses out there, there really are a lot of them, but they're not being given the roles that they may deserve. One case in point, which I want to quickly mention, would be Blood Diamond, DiCaprio's new movie, which is a fantastic film, by the way. And you have Jennifer Connelly in there, who's a great actress, but if you look at her resume, she's wasted in a lot of movies. Dark Water, The Hulk... Uh, in Blood Diamond, again, she has a, a role which is just literally shoehorned into the film. So once again, the talent is purely and utterly wasted. So so do you think it's it's more a stereotype if you look at the likes of the Bridget Jones movies? Um, drama-wise, you had Cold Mountain, which which centred on, on the female characters. Do, do you think that women are still being given a, a stereotypical role within movies? No, um, I think that's true to a point. Um, I think there are certain movies that um, have to have female leads, um, such as the ones you've just mentioned. Bridget Jones' diary would not work um, with a bloke playing Bridget Jones, unless, of course, it was kind of the birdcage style. Um, But if you start looking at things, I mean, again, Devil Wears Prada that's already been mentioned, again, it would only work um, in in the... uh, that the constraints that it has to be females there and Meryl Streep you know um, has been one of the uh, stronger um, 
sort of main female actors for 20-30 years I would have said since uh, Sophie's Choice came out but uh, yeah but uh, unfortunately Chris has already highlighted an instance where um, you could have had an either or and it's a and it's a female character with dark water you know Jennifer Connelly is the main character of that movie um, and there's an emotional heart to it because of the uh, links to the uh, the child same goes for the ring with Naomi Watts in the remake um, and certainly in the Asian movies. There are a lot of other ones. I was sort of just having a quick look at my shelf. Mulholland Drive, two female main characters are the protagonists in that. Bound? Um, sorry? Bound? Bound, lesbian um, gangster movie. Two, main, uh, two female characters are the main protagonists in that. Girl Interrupted, it's practically a, a, an all-girl ensemble with uh, uh, Angelina Jolie, Winona Ryder, uh, Brittany Murphy, Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, you know, that's sort of not as um, in the same way as Still Magnolias, but Girl Interrupted isn't really um, a chick flick like Still Magnolias or Fried Green Tomatoes, um, which would be the stereotypical roles. Um, that's basically, you know, it's a female one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but you could really, if you really wanted to, rewrite that with male characters. Uh, the, the list really does go on if you start looking at these things, um, where there are a lot of main characters that are, that are females. So, that, I mean, I'm racking my brain here, and I really can't think of anybody else box office action uh, uh, female, other than Sigourney Weaver, again from from the Alien films. I mean, I, I'm obviously missing some, so fill fill in the gaps. Do I have to really say Angelina Jolie with the Tomb Raiders? Oh, how did how did I guess <laughs> that was going to come up? Well, the the main thing is 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 um, Chris already brought up Mia Jovovich, um, and she basically was sort of the second person um, after the Tomb Raider movies came out. So if you think about it, uh, Jolie did the temp- the template for that sort of to pick up on so now you've got Jovovich doing her thing um, with the Resident Evils and the Ultraviolet what about Linda Hamilton she played mm. second fiddle to Arnold yeah well yeah but um, that was it was Cameron's Cameron's um, idea was to have strong female roles I mean look at all of these films go back to the abyss it's a strong female role there we're not saying yeah that but it's a, it's a bit of a compromise though isn't it oh yeah he's giving strong female roles Sigourney Weaver in Aliens, of course, the strong female role had already been adopted in uh, Ridley Scott's original movie, so we just that just got pa- the baton got passed on with that one. But um, yeah, he he does. But then again, his films are still primarily a male-dominated sort of narrative, and he likes to have the woman in there as well. And let's not forget, like True Lies, Jamie Lee Curtis was in there as well. Um, but again, it was an Arnie film, so it it, it is sort of a compromise. He's trying to sit on the fence. He's trying to get, look, here's something for the ladies too because you've got a good strong character in there but it kind of is a little bit, um, of, as I say, a compromise. Sorry, to carry on from that, I'm not so much saying, saying that there are not strong roles for females out there with, that you're highlighting. I'm saying that the majority of, are the majority of movies um, always male leads with females as playing second fiddle like a supporting role rather than being, like, like I said, with the, the, the Tomb Raiders, um, the, the, the Resident Evils, the Ultraviolet, they're the main characters. Dark Water, you know, that is the main character of Jennifer Connelly. The Ring is Naomi Watts. It, it's genre dictating it again, isn't it? You have the horror movie uh, where the, the woman primarily because she's the victim which again is stereotypical um, you have her as the star and this goes back you know since virtually since horror movies began but 
particularly from the late 60s through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and carrying on today with all the rehash of all the old stalking slash movies, the, the female is is the main protagonist, but she's the victim. So that 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 genre, that is just a genre stamping on you know the, the feminine character yet again. But of course, a lot of these uh, go on to make more movies, go on to, in different genres. But you know, overall, the, the point being, do they play second fiddle? Sadly, yes, they do. I, I I don't really see that ever really changing either. It's it's about box office, isn't it? That, that that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And and do, do you think that there's actually a market out there for strong female roles over the what what what's become the standard now in cinema, which is the main male dominated role in cinema? Mm, I, I don't know. Um, I I think it'd be nice if a swing shift did happen. But you would have to have, just the way things work, um, you'd have to have women making the movies, writing the scripts, and the whole, a new genre being created, and I don't mean fluffy rom-com or costume drama, I'm not trying to stereotypicise, is that a word, Stereotypicised? I haven't got a clue. No, you're just making it up. I'm not, I'm not trying to pigeonhole what, the, what genres they should be in, or what kind of movies they should be in, um, but uh, the only female filmmaker that I can remember who actually was successful and made films that I liked as well was Catherine Bigelow uh, Near Dark Vampire Come Western exactly yeah. Point Break but what was Point Break apart from a, a macho action adrenaline blast of a movie well it was it was um, she was James Cameron's wife wasn't she at, yeah at that so moment where did she get her main ideas from no that's, that's that probably isn't true at all but Blue Steel, Jamie Lee Curtis. Now there was a film where you had a female character who was the protagonist and the you know and the heroine of the of the piece. Good film. Incidentally, what has happened to Catherine Bigelow now? Actually Catherine Bigelow did do something recently, but I can't think what. Funny thing is I always liked Strange Days. Strange Days is the one I can never think Strange of its bloody Days. name. Well, yeah. I just told you it. Yeah. Well I mean yeah. that's that's pretty much a, a, that's a pretty good example of yeah. um male female equal apart because um you've got Angela Bassett and she's tremendous in that role she's the the bodyguard and she does all the ass kicking and Ralph Fiennes is uh I mean he he's the hero but he's he's very much second fiddle in that respect to uh, Angela Bassett he's just kicks ass okay guys so to round up this evening where do we go with this one then um what's the conclusions that that we've managed to draw from our quick chat tonight What's your conclusions? I think that there probably is still a last lack in um, in female roles these days, and we still haven't got to an equal setting. But I think that it's gone a long way. Um, it, it's gone across the generations, and we definitely get more prominent female parts now, as they should be. And I, I personally, I don't really notice the difference. But when you see a strong female lead, you don't. It doesn't seem at all out of place. It seems the way it should be. So I, I look forward to a future where it's perhaps an equal, equal footing. Um, I think I'll echo what uh, uh, Kaz has just said. Actually, the um, we are roles are coming forward. I mean, there's, they are, and uh, the films are getting the films are getting better. Um, for fear of repeating what everyone has said, I think it is a case of that we have um, moved on somewhat, and um, Hollywood has finally grown up to a degree and recognises that women can have strong um, roles and. It doesn't have to be completely male-dominated, and women can have equal billing. I think that um, 
as you say, Sigourney Weaver or people like Sharon Stone with the Basic Instinct one. We won't mention the two. Um, have started pa making some of the um, headway into it, um, and in recent memory, we're seeing things like Bandidas with Sam Hayek um, and Penelope Cruz as the main um, characters, and no one's really batting an eyelid there. So I think uh, it, the, you know, Hollywood has finally grown up and realised that uh, women can actually uh, act and can carry a movie if they uh, give them the chance. Um, I still think it's early days yet, to be honest. Um, yeah, there are more roles for women now. There are, they are assuming a lot of the more accepted male personas in movies. And, and, and yeah, that, that is a, a great, great thing. But I'd like to see more women actually making movies, writing the movies. And you know, I, I hate the phrase chick flick. I think that's, that's a symptom of, of the times as well, that a movie that has women in it or apart from the action ones, but if it's a comedy, if it's, you know, Devil Wears Prada type of thing, it's a chick flick. Well, that instantly is pigeonholed, the movie, where, as I think Cass said before, it shouldn't matter. A good story, it doesn't matter who plays that character, depending on the story, obviously. Um, it shouldn't, you shouldn't think, oh, it's a chick flick, because that's, that's a woman in that role there. You know, and hopefully things are going to move on. I like to see more women in movies full stop okay so that's our uh, round table for this week and if it's uh, raised your interest in any way why not head over to the podcast forum and give us your thoughts on uh, women in movies and, and what your conclusions are after our conversation this evening so thanks to Chris McInerney Kaz Harlow Simon Crust and Seth Gecko for this week's podcast and we'll see you again next week for more of the same the AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Play Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.